Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jonathan All. That's Samuel Barber's Overture to the School for Scandal, one of the landmark recordings the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra completed under the baton of Leonard Slatkin, who was the music director for the orchestra from 1979 to 1996. During that time, he elevated the stature of the orchestra, championed American music, promoted new compositions, and gave fresh readings to masterworks. He's coming back to celebrate the 50th anniversary of his debut with the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra, and he joins us in the studio. Leonard Slatkin, it is my distinct pleasure to have you on St. Louis on the Air. It's so nice to be back. Thank you. So can you believe it's been 50 years? Yes, I can. I've been thinking about it because I've moved back here. So I started in 68 as the assistant, went through various secondary titles, associate conductor, associate principal, principal guest, and then they ran out of titles and finally made me music director. (laughs) So you mentioned that you've come back to St. Louis. I think that that's something that is very exciting for a lot of people um, because when you're a conductor, you travel all over the world. You've been in Detroit and D.C. and conducted everywhere that I think they have a violin you've conducted. <laughs> Just about. Um, so how, how do you define home, and do you really see St. Louis as home? I do because of the family connection. My grandparents on my father's side emigrated here from Russia in 1911. My dad was born here and was assistant concertmaster of the orchestra for three years when he was 19 years old. I was here for 27 years altogether and then retained this title of uh, music director laureate and my son was born here so four generations of slatkins are here so there is a feeling of home about it i've spent more time here than in any other place and in thinking about where i was going to reside after my tenure in detroit ended there were many choices one was just to stay in detroit uh, but there's the problem of november through march (laughs) And then I thought I could go out to California where my son is, and he's getting married in July. I thought, well, I could be near him. That'd be cool. And then there's the matter of earthquakes and fires and taxes and properties and all that. And every other place that my wife and I looked just didn't feel right. But then we came here last October when I was guest conducting. My wife didn't know St. Louis all that well. Uh, She was driving around. She said, you know, it's really nice here. And lo and behold, about six weeks later, we found a property, built a house, and we've been settled here since June. But we're not here a lot. (laughs) Well, you're a conductor. I'm around. (laughs) (laughs) And your wife's a composer. My wife's a composer. So So we spend a lot of time on the road. But most of the summer I take off now, and I think really we'll use our home here as the base and just stick around and enjoy the humidity and the heat. How much of how, for lack of a better term, you were adored while you were here played into that? I mean, some of our more senior members of staff were recalling the Slatkins back bumper stickers. uh, um, (laughs) And then the Slatkins front (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Actually, to me, it's very sweet, but I don't think about that part. It's really the place where I had the most connections with public, uh, with uh, figures who were important in helping to energize this city. I felt 
really closer to it probably because of my family more than anything else. And also, a lot of places that we thought about are not as compact. Even though the city's population is about the same as Detroit, more or less, mm-hmm. in Detroit, it would take 30, 40 minutes to get anywhere. Here, at least where we live, I'm usually within 10, 15 minutes of any place I need to go. And that makes a big difference at this point. You're coming up in the next couple of weekends uh, coming up, you'll be doing some concerts with uh, your old band. <laughs> well, um, of which there are not many left sure. from when I started. But. Well, and I guess, I guess I guess that's, you know, uh, how much is it, how, when, when you get to the podium in front of the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra, obviously Powell Hall is essentially Powell the same. Powell makes a big difference. Um, but, but, you know, most of the faces there are probably different than when you were the music director. How much does it still feel like you're coming back to an orchestra that you led? It doesn't feel exactly like being a guest conductor, but it certainly doesn't feel like being a music director at all. So to me, it's just a regular set of visits where I see the change that occurs in the orchestra, and now they're about to undergo another one because the new music director, Stefan Deneuve, is coming in. And I'm very pleased about that because I was the one that gave him his American orchestral debut in Washington. Really? When you were at the National Center? That's right. So we know each other a little bit. I hope to get to know him better. Uh, he's a marvelous musician, very genial, and I think exactly the right person for this time. So my job now is to be more into the fabric of the totality of the city, not just its musical life, but maybe get involved a little bit in more charitable causes, do things that uh, will be helpful for all the arts organization. And I'm not even sure I should say this, but I'm going to have a radio show, but it's not here. <laughs> that's okay. We, and it's also not primarily classical. <laughs> that's okay. We are, we're, we're equal opportunity uh, friends with our, with our brethren. Okay. Um, if you have a question for Leonard Slatkin, you can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. You can send us an email at talk at stlpublicradio.org or tweet us uh, at STL on air. You've, we mentioned a couple concerts you have coming up. Um, really fascinating because both of them in a large way kind of reflect some of the things at least you're known That's for. That's right. That was um, the idea. The American music, championing new work. Um, well, let's start with uh, Jeff Beale's song cycle, The Paper-Lined Shack, which is a, written for the 50th celebration. That's got to be cool. Right. Well, first of all, we have to explain who Jeff Beale is okay. because a lot of people know his music, but they don't know the name. You know his music because you watched House of Cards. Mm, okay. And he's won Emmys and Oscars and Grammys and one of the really bright composers out in Hollywood. But he's also very much in tune with the concert hall culture. He was a graduate of the Eastman School. And I wanted a piece because during my time here in St. Louis, I actively promoted these, what we would call classically trained composers who turned to other media to express themselves through their music. And Jeff is very high on the list. And it's a song cycle uh, based on letters written by his great grandmother, Mm. uh, written for me, but also the remarkable soprano Hila Plitman, who will enchant everyone. This is a delicious song cycle. It's poignant, it's moving, 
uh, it's not the kind of new music that people run from. It's the new music that people go, I want to hear that again. And Healer will be somebody that definitely everybody wants to hear again. Well, can you tell us about Lauren Loyacano's yeah. uh, Smothered by Sky? Yeah, it's a great title. Yeah. And what I did in my final season in Detroit was I went to seven composers whose music I've championed over the years, much of it in St. Louis, whether it was Joseph Schwantner or John Corleano, Christopher Rouse. We heard a lot of that music mm-hmm. during my tenure. And I asked them, uh, for my last year in Detroit, uh, I don't want to commission a piece from you, but rather I want something from either a current or past student of yours Ooh. so I can get to know a little bit about the Ooh. next generation. Yeah. So we had seven pieces that are basically openers. That means somewhere between seven and ten minutes long. I can't remember exactly. I think Lauren studied with Chris Rouse. And her, her piece is very colorful, uh, energetic. Uh, all these composers who give titles to pieces usually use the titles just as a starting off point. Mm-hmm. It's not really meant to be directly smothered by sky. Just she liked the idea of what that might mean to her in terms of putting the piece together. Uh, she's one of an increasing number of female composers who are beginning to establish a very prominent role in our musical culture now. And it's long due. You mentioned openers in seven to ten minutes, and it seems like over the last 20 or 30 years, a lot of new music for orchestra has kind of been pushed in that direction because when somebody's programming a concert they want people to show up but they also want them to to be exposed to new music so it seems like there's a ton of stuff that was written that were openers and then you'd have your concerto and then you'd have your big masterwork right that formula hasn't changed too much we alter it once in a while but the reason is that a lot of the composers are not known it, once in a while, you take a chance on a new composer writing a big piece. Mm-hmm. But with somebody who's not known, you want, first of all, to see, okay, let me get used to the style. As a conductor, anyway, I want to find a composer who really appeals to me. And once I have heard something or conducted something by that person, I would usually then follow it up with a bigger commission. So in okay. many cases here and in other places, I would do more substantial pieces. But if we had, did, say, uh, Symphony Number no. 6 by such and such a composer that nobody knew, and it occupied the entire second half, we probably wouldn't see many people staying in the seats. But once they got to know them, we did that with our composers in the residence here, whether it was Schwantner or mm-hmm. uh, Chris, uh, uh, Joan Tower, Don Herb, Claude Baker. They stayed for three years. So by the end, the audience really got to know them. And by then, they were writing big, big pieces for the orchestra. You think it's a good thing, a bad thing, or just a thing that, that we have a whole generation of classical composers, though, who put a lot of creative effort into that seven to 10 minute piece um, because they knew that was the way that they had the highest probability of getting programmed. That's one thing. The second thing is that's how most composers did it. <laughs> okay, so this isn't <laughs> so new. It's if nothing you, new if you go here. back to the classical period right. or the Baroque or, or Romantic, it was yeah. the same thing. Yeah, Brahms orchestral pieces don't start with this first symphony. They start <laughs> with serenades and overtures, things like that. Yeah. Let's go to the phone. Uh, Jerry in O'Fallon, Missouri uh, has uh, something to say. Uh, Jerry, thanks for calling, and welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Okay, welcome back to St. Louis. Thank uh, you. We met a couple of years ago when you were uh, you had your book out, uh, Conducting Business, mm-hmm. and uh, 
had a nice conversation about uh, Stan Kenton and Oscar Levant. And, of course, oh, yeah. I was kind of surprised about uh, the fact, not that the musical part, but you talked about his local television show when you were growing up in Los Angeles. Straight TV. Yes, and I remember, of course, one of my favorite uh, Sinatra albums is uh, Close to You, but which featured, parents. of course, your father and your mother. Yep. And uh, anyway, as a, as a uh, former uh, employee of... Uh, Transworld and Ozark Airlines. I <laughs> have to say, uh, it's not the hub it used to be. It's not. It's, it's easy to get out of here by uh, via aircraft. But uh, I uh, hope you uh, enjoy your residency here. I'm looking forward and to being to back and hope to see you at a concert. Okay, thank you. Thanks Jerry, for calling. Th- thanks very much for your call. We appreciate it. Let's talk about uh, and and then on. So we've talked about the new works that are on both of the concert series that that, that you're doing. Um, both of them also feature a pretty significant American piece, uh, yeah. Samuel Barber's Symphony Number no. 1 and Bernstein's Symphony Number no. 3. Correct. In the case of the Barber, we became the orchestra that was known for championing this composer during a time when his popularity had really diminished. Mm-hmm. We took it on. We recorded several discs of Barber's music, and I'm proud that this orchestra became the one that really helped put Barber back on the musical landscape, and now he's quite popular, uh, and everybody's playing his music, and the first symphony is one of these uh, also relatively early piece, although he'd written the overture and the adagio for strings earlier, short pieces. And the first symphony is just a model of compact genius, 20 minutes for one movement, but divided into four parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a stunning showpiece for everybody. I love doing it. It'll be interesting after all these years to return to it with this orchestra. Uh, the Bernstein Third Symphony, the Kaddish, has always been controversial. Mm-hmm. I believe it's only been performed here once. I've never done it here. I th- and I think it was 1965, just after its premiere. Uh, it is called Kaddish, which is the Hebrew prayer that's recited uh, at the funeral services, memorial services. But it's not really about that. It's about the struggle that Bernstein perceives everyone has with faith. But that faith doesn't necessarily have to be religious. It could be something about the struggle in the world in which we live, either cultural, social, whatever. Some of us don't really go through every day being totally optimistic. And he's questioning existence. He's questioning what his relationship is. Why is he here? The same questions everybody goes through it, but just Bernstein did it pretty much in every piece he wrote. So here we have a a work, very important piece of music. It's also Bernstein trying to break away from just being called the composer of West Side Story. Exactly. Because the first 20 minutes are severe in the musical content. Is that where the controversy came from? No, the controversy okay. is the text. Okay. And it always has been. People felt it was too corny, too overwrought, mm-hmm. too much Bernstein, not enough uh, ecumenical. But these days, somehow, it seems a little more suited to our times because it does confront what so many people are having to deal with in the world today. It's, uh, I, I did it a year and a half ago in New York with Jeremy Irons, but it was originally written for Bernstein's wife to recite. And so here we have a woman doing the narration. Sasha Cook is here to sing the Kaddish prayer as well as the uh, 
closing moments of the piece, there's the St. Louis Symphony Chorus that Amy Kaiser so ably directs, and the children's chorus. The stage, not only the stage, but the floor of the hall will be crowded with people singing and playing and doing all kinds of things. But it's quite a showpiece for everybody, and I hope people come away with a good sense of the meaning of the work. But it does rely heavily on how the performer reciting the text brings it off. We're speaking with Leonard Slatkin, who was the uh, music director of the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra from 79 to 96. He's back in town. He'll be doing concerts with the orchestra over the next two weekends. You you talked about uh, Bernstein trying to get away from being the composer of West Side Story, maybe on the town, you know, some of the... Wonderful town. Yeah. Um, But I'm interested in your perspective of people trying to break out from the thing that they were known for. I think Aaron Copeland kind of went through that same thing where where he was so known for that folky uh, Appalachian right. Spring right. Uh, type music, and he got to the point where he was just done with that, and he did some really aggressive work that people it, didn't well, he, like. But he also did it early in his <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just that when we came around to the Second World War, he moved into a more nationalistic type of writing, mm-hmm more trying to uplift the people with the three ballets, with his third symphony, the fanfare for the common man, Lincoln mm-hmm. Portrait, so forth and so on. And then he wanted to be a little more abstract, which is what Bernstein wanted as well. But mostly it was about being accepted by the musical journalistic community and academia, which had moved into a very strict form of musical writing called serialism, mm-hmm. which could be equated with a kind of modernism in painting that people looked at and said, I don't like that and I don't want to ever see that again. Well, with music it became, I can't listen to that and I don't ever want to hear it again. But that was the prevailing sentiment of the time of the 50s and 60s. It's only in mid-70s when composers began to embrace tonality, melody, harmony, rhythm, and now everything seems to coexist. So the passages in the Bernstein which are aggressive, after all this time, after all these years, this is 65, I think we're talking about, 1965 for this piece, or 63, sorry. Now, it doesn't seem quite as difficult as it did back then. It's not as shocking. We know this language, Mm -hmm. and it exists with all the other languages and music that are out there. With with your knowledge of what a lot of these composers did, do you apply any of that to how you approach your musical journey and career? Uh, how do you balance the things that you're really known for, for maybe some new things that you want to do, or, or maybe things that you never really got credit for? Because, I mean, you can conduct the living heck out of Tchaikovsky, but people still associate you more with Sandy Barber. But that's Barbara. okay. That's been the way it's been for almost every person in music. They, mm-hmm. You get categorized because you find particular interests that you're passionate about, and you focus on those, but you don't do it at the detriment of anything else. I mean, you can't be a music director in this country, or anywhere for that matter, without knowing the basics. And you don't last as long as some of us have without being decent enough in Beethoven, Brahms, Schubert, Mahler, whatever. It's just as you grow older, you focus on what you believe you've learned and stay more or less in that comfort zone. So there's nothing other than the Beale piece, which is the premiere, but I know the composer well, that I haven't done before and haven't done, I've done it 
quite often. I still do new music, but probably a little less of it than I've done before. Occasionally now I'll venture into something, especially a composer like Bruckner, who never appealed to me much before. Now I'm finding him interesting, so I do a little bit of that. But at this point, I think people want me to come and do what I'm known for doing. But that means American repertoire, Russian repertoire, British repertoire, and French repertoire. That doesn't mean I don't do Austrian and German repertoire. But if you're going to give me those four, I'll take it. (laughs) So is there anything that you've always wanted to do that you haven't had the opportunity to do yet? I probably should have invested a little more time in opera. And I can't say that I necessarily want to do more. But for me, the problem has always been that many collaborations that I've had over the past, I haven't enjoyed because it's it's a different way of looking at music to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, once in a while, I get lucky. Uh, the last big production I did was in Santa Fe a couple of years ago, Barber's Vanessa. And we had the ideal cast, ideal director. Everything was just clicking, and it was so much fun to do that. But you just get one person who turns out to be a prima donna, whether it's the producer or whether it's the lighting guy or the set designer who's decided to set it on Venus someplace, (laughs) Uh, and it goes against the way you think about it. I, I guess I'm looking for one more, and I might have the opportunity. We've been having some discussions here about mm. uh, putting something together, which could be exactly what I'm looking for. Is there a particular opera you have in mind? Yeah. Will you share it with us? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I suppose I'll tell you this fair. much. It is an American opera. Wonderful. Um, we have to finish up with probably the most important question of all, and that is, what's your take on the St. Louis Cardinals Well, this pretty year? good the last couple of days. I went to the game on Sunday, and... They looked very good. I'm glad to see uh, some of the players who started a little cold now beginning to heat it up a bit. We still have some bullpen concerns, of course. That's typical of Cardinal tradition. (laughs) But I like the aggressiveness of the base running now. I think that was a goes back to the time I was here when Whitey Herzog was playing Whitey Ball. It was you never knew it was going to happen. So it's early. We we don't know. We hope that the pitching staff stays healthy, that people can get into your sixth and seventh innings comfortably. Uh, it's a tough division with Milwaukee and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh all have good teams out there. I think you forgot one team, the Chicago Cubs. I didn't forget. <laughs> I'll tell you a quick story. You got time for yes. 30 seconds? Yes. I have a very good friend, diehard Cubs fan. His father, same way. His father literally was on his deathbed. And my friend says, Dad, you trying to just lighten it up, says, Dad, you realize you're not going to be around to see the Cubs with this World Series. And on his deathbed, the father says, Jeff, neither are you. Of course, that <laughs> changed, but it's a true story. Leonard Slatkin uh, is back in St. Louis, living here, uh, working here the next couple of weekends, uh, concerts with the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. Um, and Leonard, thank you so much for being on, on, on the show. Great to see you. It was a total pleasure, and uh, we really in- enjoy having see you See you again on. soon. Podcast episodes of St. Louis on the Air are available at stlpublicradio.org, or you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, the Google Podcast app, or wherever you get your podcasts. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Jonathan All.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.